This is lesson 40 of the study of Matthew. And today we're going to finish chapter 13. And Yeshua has just finished a series of parables. And he concludes this with this statement in verse 51. Have you understood all these things, Yeshua asked? Yes, they replied. You know, any teacher wants his disciples, his students, to understand. And so Yeshua asks, have you understood these things? And they reply, yes. But you've got to remember from last week that he told us that while these were kingdom parables, that not everybody's going to understand. It must have been hard for Yeshua to teach parables, which means, as we saw before, to lay side by side and only give the... Uh, one side of the parable. So a lot of people didn't understand what he was teaching. I mean, if you're a teacher, you want people to understand, right? But his disciples did. And so any teacher, like I say, wants his students to understand. And the first of those parables that he told us last week started by telling us of four types of disciples who would hear the message of the kingdom. And the message of the kingdom, of course, we all know is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so the first message told us of the effect, uh, the first parable told us of the effect that that message would have on disciples and why. In three of those cases, the disciples, the effect it had was questionable. Only one was the message received, acted upon, and acted upon for life. Others, either they didn't hear it at all, or they fell away. The next six parables that we looked at told us about the members of the kingdom, particularly at the time of judgment. Two told us of the importance of the message of the kingdom. Two told us that the message of the kingdom, though it seems small and the numbers of the kingdom seem small, that at judgment time it's going to be great. The kingdom of heaven is going to be great. The numbers are going to be great. The disciples understood the message and and lived it out. But we know that most did not, which will tell us something about the disciples. And we'll look at that in a moment because it's what this last part of chapter 13 is all about. But today we're going to have Yeshua tell us one of the great rewards for being part of the kingdom. And that is the wisdom of God is available to you. And he tells us one of the possible reasons. Also, he tells us one of the possible reasons that the nation of Israel did not see him as Messiah. But first he says this in verse 52. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. It's kind of an interesting passage. You have to ask yourself, what does Yeshua mean by this? What does it mean to be instructed about the kingdom? I mean, hasn't every Torah teacher been instructed about the kingdom? Is that not what the entire Torah is about? Isn't that what the instruction is about? And so what does it mean to add new treasures? What does new treasures mean and old? Does it mean that every Torah teacher is going to find new laws to add to the Torah? Well, we spoke about this some last week, but let's look again and see what Yeshua is alluding to. Remember, in verse 37, in one of the parables, he said this. The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. 
And we talked about this last week. He says, sons of the kingdom. Of course, he means the kingdom of heaven. And as we've seen, heaven in the first century was a circumlocution for God. When I say the kingdom of heaven or I see the kingdom of God, I say the same thing. And so the sons of the kingdom that he's talking about here are the sons of God. And let's look at what Shaul says about that in chapter 8 and verse 12. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And so what I want to get across to you today And what Yeshua is saying here is that those who are instructed about the kingdom, those who are led by the Spirit, because that's how you are instructed about the kingdom. And he's also saying that those Torah teachers who are led by the Spirit will bring out new things as well as old. Yeshua just told his disciples a series of parables about the kingdom. The first one described differing disciples. It first spoke of a disciple who liked the path that the seed was sown on and the enemy came and snatched it away. He snatched it away because he, like the path, was hard. His heart was hard. The seed could not take root. So were those students who were led by the Spirit, do you think? Obviously not, if the seed didn't take root. The soil in the rocks and the soil that did not take root because it fell among the rocks where there wasn't enough soil those seeds that fell where there wasn't enough soil, or the soil with the weeds where the seed was choked off. Do you think those students stand for those who were led by the Spirit? Of course not. The Spirit of God, the thing I want to get across to you, is the Spirit of God has to prepare the soil. It has to prepare the heart of the student, the one who's going to hear the message. The good soil was a disciple whose heart was prepared by the Spirit of God for the seed of the message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The student whose heart was prepared by the sower was the one who was led by the Spirit. Remember, Yeshua, after this parable, he says this in verse 10. He says, The disciples came to him and asked him, Why did you speak in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Yeshua says, Not everyone will understand the parables. And that's what I talked about. It must have been hard to be Yeshua as a teacher when he knew that many were not going to understand what he was teaching. Even though parables are meant to take difficult concepts of Scripture and make them easy to understand, there were going to be some who didn't understand. But the disciples, it says, has been given the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven. Who gave them the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven? The ability to understand the words of Yeshua. Well, it was the Spirit of God. He had prepared that soil, those disciples, to hear the message of Yeshua. The disciples of Yeshua's hearts are being prepared. And if your heart has been prepared and you're led by the Spirit, 
what it says here is you'll be given much more. I want you to think about something. I noticed this something years ago when I was witnessing to some Jewish people. And if you've ever witnessed to someone, you, if you're very attentive, you can watch that person and you can see by the look on their face whether or not that message is affecting the person. And I witnessed, I would notice sometimes it would look almost like the shades have been pulled down over the eyes. There was like a veil over the face. And then you might witness to another person and you see that he's very attentive. You can see that he's grabbing hold of the message. It's being understood. There's an excitement in that person's eyes that is replaced and not that curtain that I saw. And that's what I'm speaking about. One has had the Spirit prepare him for the message. And the other, not yet. Maybe later, but not yet. And the point here is that the message of the kingdom requires that the student has been prepared to receive. And living life by the Torah of God and the kingdom of heaven that Yeshua is speaking of here requires that you're able to hear from God on an ongoing basis. That's the water and the light that the seed needs to grow. We have to be led by the Spirit. And so that's what it means to be a disciple of the kingdom, to be instructed in the kingdom. What is meant by new things? Well, think about it. The observance of Torah has required change down through the centuries. Because as the good news went out to the nations, traditional teachings were no longer of any value. One of the more easy to see is that of the tradition of the rabbis to require circumcision for the inclusion of Gentiles into the community of Israel. This was the tradition for centuries, even to the first century. The disciples, think about it, they knew of no other way of including a Gentile into Israel, into the community of Israel. Well, that teaching was old news for God. But but to change it, It was going to take the leading of the Spirit. You remember the story of Peter where the sheet was lowered down by by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God says to, to Peter, Call nothing unclean that God has made clean. Well, the meaning of that vision was explained to us in verse 34 of Acts chapter 10. It says this, Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel telling them the good news of peace through Yeshua the Messiah who is Lord over all. And so this is what is meant by every Torah teacher who's schooled or discipled in the kingdom of heaven will bring out new things as well as old. The Spirit of God tells Peter that the old way of inclusion of Gentiles into the community of Israel is no longer of value. But this is the new thing that God is doing. It's, it does not change Torah, heaven forbid, because Torah can never be changed. Torah never required non-Jews living outside the land of Israel to be circumcised. But what it changes is this traditional custom, this traditional teaching, this old teaching. And so Peter is bringing out something new. And where did he receive it? From the Spirit of God from the kingdom of heaven. Now, as you may have figured out by now, this can get to be a bit of a slippery slope. Over the centuries, we've had people, teachers come on the scene and abolish the law. 
Abolish the Sabbath of God. Abolish the festivals of God. Institute new festivals out of paganism, claiming that they've been given the right and that they were led by the Spirit of God to do that. In our day, we have people in the church telling us things like, well, the Lord told me this, or the Lord told me that, or the Lord told me to tell you this, or the Lord told me to tell you that. Well, it would seem to me that we have to have some guidelines, some guideposts for determining what is new that, the, that Yeshua is speaking of. And what is old? What is new and what have the church fathers pulled out of their own hats? We also have to have some guidelines for when a person says, the Lord told me this or the Lord told me that. Was it really the Lord that told him or was it too much pizza that caused me to have some nightmares the night before? We have to have a method of discernment or we'll come to a place where any imagination of man can be considered the new thing. Just because someone says, the Lord showed me, that doesn't mean a thing to me. Or the Lord told me, that doesn't mean a thing to me. Except that I need to examine what that person just said by some yardstick. How do we examine those words? Well, Yeshua told us in the passage. He said this. He said to them, Therefore, every Torah teacher, every teacher of the law, who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven, is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. You see what he says? Every Torah teacher. Those who are teaching Torah have new things and old. And so we, can, we have to compare everything with Torah. It's the standard. It's the milepost. It's the foundation. Because it cannot be changed. And that's what Yeshua told us in Matthew 5, 18. He says, I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear. Not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the Torah until everything is accomplished. Are heaven and earth still here? seems so. I, my foot is hitting something. And so, the Torah cannot be abolished. It can be reinterpreted for our time. That's the new thing. But it cannot be abolished. It must be reinterpreted because the laws of the Torah, the older teachings of the Torah, uh, may not be uh, of value anymore. The laws of Torah are no longer the laws of the nation of Israel, so to speak. Let me give you an example of what I mean. When Israel was a sovereign nation, their lives were lived and governed by the Torah. The judges judged according to the Torah. Sentences for violations of the Torah were given by the standards written in the Torah. And so we have an instruction like this in Exodus chapter 31 and verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbaths. They will be a sign between me and you for generations to come. So you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Whoever does any work on that day must be cut off from his people. For six days work is to be done. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day must be put to death. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. 
For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he abstained from work and rested. And so Father tells the people of Israel, if you desecrate my holy day, then you must be put to death. Did he mean what he said? Well, if we move forward to Numbers chapter 15, we find that indeed a man was caught gathering wood on the Sabbath day. And he was in fact put to death for that violation. This was possible because the civil law of the nation of Israel was God's law. The judges acted upon it, decided verdicts and punishments in accordance with the Torah. But think about it. Today, if one of the people of Sar Shalom were to desecrate the Sabbath day, and we took him out front and we stoned him as a community of people, we took him out front and stoned him as a community of people, I'll tell you what, as a community of people, we would go to jail. Amen? And the reason is, God's law of the Sabbath is not upheld. The court's verdicts and punishments are not in accordance with God's law. And so the one who desecrates the Sabbath day must be dealt with differently. This has to be reinterpreted for the time in which we live. We have to reinterpret it. What can be done to someone who violates the Sabbath day, who desecrates God's holy day? What can we do with that person? Well, perhaps the elders of a community might decide, well, of that community, it might decide, well, we're going to deal with him in some other way. Maybe we'll just put him out of the community. We'll have nothing to do with him any longer. But you see, it requires a reevaluation of the command that God has given us. We must follow his command, but we must also reinterpret it within the society that we live. This reevaluation can come about two ways. Either men can sit down and decide what to do. That's as in the case if we look at rabbinic law, the Talmud. Or in our example of adhering to the circumcision of Gentiles, we could be led by the Spirit of God. And that's what Peter was. He was led by the Spirit of God to reinterpret the command of God. And, and so the believers no longer required that. So Yeshua is saying that those who are instructed in the kingdom will be led by the Spirit of God. And we must be led by the Spirit of God if we're going to reinterpret God's Word. The Father always wanted it that way, and we, we, we can see this in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 5. He says, Now if you hear my voice and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. You see, at Mount Sinai, God wanted Israel. He makes covenant with them and he, as part of the agreement, he says, if you listen to my voice and obey me, he says, then you'll be for me a holy nation. Or we could say a separate nation to me. And the reason is simple. No other nation on earth listens to God. Well, we all know the story. They say yes, and then God comes down on Mount Sinai and He gives them Ten Commandments. They hear, and then they change their mind and ask for Moses to mediate between them and God. And so from that day until Yeshua comes, that's the way it was. That's the way it was. But Yeshua came. Now, He's made a way for us to hear from God again. And the people of Israel, but anciently, the people of Israel weren't taught by heaven. God, but they were taught by men. 
What Yeshua is saying is that Torah teachers who hear from God, Torah teachers who are led by the Spirit of God, by the kingdom of heaven, will change this. They're going to bring out new teachings that will change the teachings of men. So with that understanding, let's read on a little bit farther. When Yeshua had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue. And they were amazed. Where did this man get such wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? And they looked at it, took offense at him. And, but Yeshua said to them, only in a... Only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. And so Yeshua is teaching. And he's teaching as one schooled by the kingdom of heaven. He's led by the Spirit of God. Not in the typical way of the day. He did not attend the school of Hillel. He didn't go to the school of Shammai. He was not recognized by the people as a Torah teacher in the traditional sense. And we can see this in a similar statement in John chapter 7. It says in verse 14, Not until halfway through the feast did Yeshua go to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having studied? People hear his teaching and realize, Hey, this guy hasn't been schooled in one of the schools of the rabbis. So why is he teaching? Where did he get the authority? Where did he get the learning? I mean, if you have your eyes on this world, this is a very reasonable question. One I hear all the time. People ask me all the time, were you a rabbi before you came to Yeshua? In other words, do you understand these teachings? Do you understand the teachings from Talmud and Midrash? Where did you learn them? We see... We have to have this understanding. Where did this person get this? Another question is that I get asked all the time. Where did you study? You see, we're conditioned to thinking that the only way a teacher, the only way for a teacher to learn is to go to seminary, go to yeshiva. It never occurs to us that one can read the Bible commentaries, he can read Talmud, he can read Midrash, and have the Spirit of God reveal to him what is true and what is not as true. Because we're so conditioned into the Greek way of thinking that school is the absolute way. You can't know unless you've been to school. And that's the same thing that's going on here. And that's why Yeshua says, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Can you think about this for a minute? Can you imagine if we were to go back to Egypt and the Israelites are still in slavery and Moses, and, and Moses comes and they had said to Moses, huh, what yeshiva did you attend? How did you get this understanding? Or as he sat out in front of the tent of meeting and taught, they would have. what if they would have asked him, well, what yeshiva did you attend? What school did you go to that we should listen to you? Well, this is no different. It's no different in our day. God is willing to teach if you're willing to hear His voice. Our idea of seminary or yeshiva learning is from 
men. It's Greek. Hearing from God is a God idea. Amen? That's what God wants us to hear. And that's exactly what the people in this passage are hearing. They don't understand that Yeshua is, uh, Yeshua is hearing from the Father. And that's why he says, And Yeshua answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. Yeshua says, I did not learn this in rabbinic school. I learned this from the one who sent me, my Father, my God, the ruler of the kingdom of heaven. Yeshua was a Torah teacher instructed in and by the kingdom of heaven. And if we look at what this Torah teacher brought forth out of his storehouse, we can see exactly what he means. He taught a wealth of new and old. Much of the Sermon of the Mount was a wealth of new. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. In this teaching, Yeshua goes right to the heart of the matter and he says, if you're angry with your brother, you're in danger of judgment because anger and murder have the same root. They come from a hurt and unforgiving heart. And so Yeshua goes right to the heart of the commandment and brings something new from the storehouse. In verse 27 it says, You have heard it said, Do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He says, If you look at a woman and you lust, you've committed adultery because adultery and lust come from the same root. Both come from a twisted heart. Something new from the storehouse. Matthew 33. Again, you have heard it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep your oaths that you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Simply let your yeses be yes and your noes be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Yeshua says, Don't make vows. Don't use the Lord's name to bolster what you have to say. But let your yes be yes. Something new from the storehouse of Yeshua. That's what it means. That's what Yeshua means when he says something new. Yeshua did it. The disciples did it. We just spoke about Peter and circumcision. That isn't all though. Remember when the disciples met to decide what would ultimately be required of new Gentiles coming into the congregation. The other thing required was that uh, at that time, the rabbis were uh, held that not only did they have to be circumcised, but they had to learn the, to- the Torah. They had to learn the customs before they could be part of the nation of Israel. They had to go through immersion. And so the disciples, in their decision in Acts chapter 15, which we'll read in a minute, lessened these requirements. And in the process, they brought something new out of the storehouse of the kingdom. They said, no. To have fellowship with these new Gentiles coming to the faith in Yeshua, we only need to have them do this. Acts chapter 15 verse 12 says, The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. And when they finished, James spoke up, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild. I will restore it. The remnant of men may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, 
who does these things that have been known for ages. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write them telling to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from meat, from strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times on the Sabbath day and is read in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. These are not new commands from the disciples. They're not adding to the Torah, but they're reevaluating for the time in which they live, the halakha of the day, at the time and the place in which they live. They're looking at the way Torah is being lived out and seeking the wisdom of God and His kingdom and saying, you know, we've been wrong about circumcision. We've been wrong about purity laws. They have actually kept us from telling the Gentiles about God. From, from key, uh, they've kept us from turning Gentiles to God. We've been wrong. And they're bringing something new out of the storehouse of the kingdom of heaven. And it's done through the leading of the Spirit of God. The other thing in Matthew chapter 13 is notice that it says, When they heard his teachings and saw the miracles, they took offense. And I want to read that again because we've gone so far down. I don't want to lose track of what we're talking about. Verse 54 says, Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in the synagogue. They were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this... And isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. Now, let's think about this for a minute. We can assume, it says he's teaching in the synagogue, and so we can assume that, that some of this teaching that he was doing was on the Sabbath day. He has a gathering in the synagogue. And they say, where did this man get this wisdom and this miraculous powers? I want to read the way Mark tells the story a little different. In verse 4, Mark, he says, Yeshua said to them, only in his own hometown among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he could not do any miracles there except lay a hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. And so the thing I wanted to bring out is Matthew includes a few sick people. So we might assume that Yeshua was doing some of the same things that we saw him do elsewhere, bringing out new teachings that run contrary to the teachings of the Pharisees. Perhaps some of the healings that he was doing occurred on the Sabbath day. They weren't in agreement with that. We don't know because Matthew, neither Matthew or Mark are specific about a time. But I think we could certainly infer that since there were many people gathered in the synagogue, this is indeed probably happening on a Sabbath day. So they no doubt take offense at his teaching, wondering how this man can teach these things. He's, no, he's not a teacher, he's a carpenter. And then why is he healing on the Sabbath? Where does he get these powers? And they take offense at him. And folks, these folks are in serious trouble because they took offense at him. These folks are in serious trouble because you don't take offense at Yeshua. The word for offense there in the Greek is the Greek word scandalizo. And it's the same word that was used in Matthew chapter 11 when Yeshua's, uh, John's disciples come to Yeshua. It says this in verse 4, Yeshua replied, Go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, 
the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Where it says fall away there, that is uh, the word scandalizo again. Blessed are those who do not take offense at me. More than that, the whole, think about it, the whole of the nation of Israel really did the same thing. They failed to recognize the hour of their visitation. These people were offended because they could not see nor understand how this man from their own hometown, how could he do these things? How could he be the Messiah? The nation of Israel took offense because they didn't understand how the Messiah could suffer and die. And we see this. If we look on the road to Emmaus, in Luke chapter 24, verse 17, it says, He instructed them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Yeshua of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of the women, some of our women amazed us when they went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find the body. And they came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of our companions went to the tomb and found just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And so what we see on, on, with these disciples, these are disciples who had heard Yeshua preach, saw the miraculous powers that he'd done. And on the road to Emmaus, they give us this wonderful insight as to why the nation of Israel was offended at Messiah. You see, they had expectations. And those expectations didn't agree with the truth of Messiah Yeshua. A quick read through the Gospels tell us that Yeshua was actually loved by the people of Israel. Think about it. With the exception of those of his hometown that we just read about who took offense at him, with the exception of the Sadducees and and the Pharisees, who were a small minority of the people, Yeshua was loved by the people. Everywhere he went, he gathered crowds around him. And what was not to love? His teachings amazed them. His miracles amazed them. His power healed them. However, as much as they loved him, when he did not fulfill their expectations of the Messiah, when he died, they abandoned their faith in him. Even some of the closest disciples didn't understand. Thomas didn't believe. Mary in the garden said, Tell me where you put him and I'll get him. They doubted because he didn't fulfill their expectations. Those he did not appear to took offense and fell away, many of them. He appeared to his disciples, but there were many who didn't appear to. And they took offense and they fell away. And the lesson is, Even though we may be schooled in the kingdom, uh, we can still have expectations that the Messiah will not fill because it's not the truth of the Messiah. 
Don't lose faith because of this person or that person dies and he's not healed because you have an expectation that he was to be healed. Don't do that. Don't let your expectations of what God or Messiah in the truth of the kingdom versus the truth of the kingdom trip you up. Don't doubt. Don't lose faith. Verse uh, 17 says, If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself, but he who does the work who works for the honor of the one who sent him is the man of truth. There's nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keeps the law? Why are you trying to kill me? And so we close here with uh, verse 13, and next week we'll be able to pick up right in chapter 14. But we close with a profound understanding about teachers. If a teacher is teaching to gain honor for himself, you need to watch out. You know, I've had radio and television people because I'm, I'm, I'm because of being on the radio and being on television. And, and one time I was trying to get on a, a national cable channel. Not, now God has made, opened the door for me to do it and do it reasonably. But he told me, you know something, Stan? He says, you have to push yourself more. He says, I watch your show and, and you do a lot of teaching, but you've got to push yourself more. You have to keep your name out there. You have to build yourself up. Well, I've never seen it that way. And I don't think Yeshua sees it that way either. I'm here to proclaim Yeshua. That's all that I was ever asked to do. It's not up to me to make the message popular or put this ministry at the forefront of people's minds. I'm just here to make Yeshua in the kingdom of heaven at the forefront of people's minds. Amen? And if you run into a teacher that does anything else, Run. Okay, so that's the end of chapter 13, and we will pick up uh, with chapter 14. We can make a clean break here today. Pick up with chapter 14 next week.